Good morning, church. It is so good to be back with you. Well, I'm grateful to stand here before you this last time. Uh, when I was asked uh, to be pulpit supply, I told the committee uh, that we would stay however long or however short uh, we were needed. And uh, once, we were, once we were told our service wasn't needed, we would leave graciously. And so uh, I've been informed our time here is through, and we have just, we've been so very blessed uh, by you. I don't say it lightly. Uh, it has been an obs- absolute, absolute honor to stand here uh, before you each week with, with an open Bible. And in uh, these, these three short months as uh, pulpit supply in November and December, and now as we end uh, January, it's just been a, a pure delight to me. It's been a gift to me and to uh, my wife and to our five children. Um, you've ministered to us. You have, you have loved us well. You have welcomed us. Uh, we've never, not once, have we felt out of place. Uh, and so we just want to thank you for caring for us and, and entrusting us with this time. Uh, thank you for allowing me to preach each week, uh, to preach uh, directly after you've lost a seasoned pastor, to preach through Thanksgiving, to uh, preach uh, on the Lord's Supper, and to then administer the Lord's Supper, as we'll do again, and to preach the Christmas Eve service, and through Christmas, and, and through the New Year, and it's... Um, it's been good, uh, even now as we, or as the church has chosen, will later confirm and ordain uh, the deacons in another season of the church. Uh, I've never once been told that you can only preach on these topics, but you've got to stay away from these topics. I've not been told that. I've never been told, as you probably surmised by now, I've never been told I've had a time limit. Uh, and so I'm thankful for that. There was freedom to preach here. And... Uh, just thank you for your faithfulness each week, for your attentiveness, uh, for your encouragement uh, to us. And I praise God that the church is not built on any man. But the, uh, the church is, is really built and is only built on the Lord Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. On Jesus Christ, the firm foundation. And so I do ask that you pray for me and my family, uh, that we would be obedient to God and, and that he would open more doors for us, uh, that we can minister to others and myself and as an evangelist that I would have more opportunities to equip and encourage the local church to build up the local church and then lastly church I just want to avail myself to you Uh, whatever the need is uh, as a church or to you as an individual um, I'm able to serve you in whatever capacity is needed so just because I'm not preaching here Sunday doesn't mean I'm not available to you so if you if you ever need me or my family, any capacity to minister to you, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, you have a very, very special place uh, in our heart. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. God, you have been so good to us. Through it all, God, you have remained, oh, so faithful. You're so resolute and immutable you don't change you're always the same you're firm you're good there's no variation in you oh and when our faith is weak and you remain faithful so god we ask that you would make christ jesus the king of our hearts make him the king of our minds make us the make him the king of our homes lord make him the king of our church oh may we pour out our life as a servant 
May we love Christ Jesus above anything else. May our allegiance be supreme to him. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you have your way? Would you fill us? Would you move? Would you make your presence known? May we be encouraged to press on. It's all in your hands. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you open your Bible this morning to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy will be in chapter 3. Give you a moment to turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 13 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. This is God's perfect and holy word, and it is for us even this morning. Beginning in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossip, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, after talking with uh, Pastor Andy and uh, the chairman of the deacons, Brother Tony Hamilton, uh, we thought it prudent for the church at large to see the qualifications of a deacon, to see what a, a biblical deacon is and the role that they play here in our local church. Uh, it's also for us to help hold the deacons accountable, uh, for the deacons to understand uh, their office. This sermon is to foster a sense of respect and honor for the office of deacon, so that you and the deacons will better understand their office. For us this morning to see how the church operates with deacons, how you can pray specifically for your deacons. And there may even be some among us that even now, one day, you too will be called to serve in that capacity. If you're a deacon this morning, or you'll be installed or ordained later tonight, if you're a deacon in any capacity, if you'll just stand right now where you're at, just stand. Thank you, man. You may be seated. The position of deacon was designed to alleviate tension in the church. According to the New Testament, a deacon is an alleviator and a server. A deacon's an overall supporter of gospel ministry. Deacons are a gift to Christ's church. Deacons have been graced with specific qualities for the common good of you, the local church. Deacons, you are to put down division and you are to build up Christ's body. Deacons are servants. Their very name means servant. Deacons do not own or rule areas of ministry. No, a deacon facilitates congregational ministry under the leadership of pastors. 
the primary spiritual leaders of a congregation are the pastors who are called overseers and elders in the Bible. Elders or pastors, they, they teach or preach the word and they shepherd the souls. But deacons, you also have a crucial role in the life and in the health of the local church. But your role is very different from pastors. The biblical role of a deacon is to take care of the physical and the logistical needs of the church so that the pastors or the elders, the overseers, can work hard at preaching and teaching and so the pastors can devote themselves to leading the church through prayer and the ministry of the word, as the Bible says. So what is a biblical deacon to be? And before you just tune out and say, hey, I'm not a deacon, I don't want to be a deacon, I'm not qualified to be a deacon, this is for the deacons, I'm out, that's not true. Here is a list that we're going to see, church, this morning. It's also a list of what a godly man or a godly woman would look like. So, so don't zone out here, but, but compare your own self individually to the scriptures. Look at verse 8 with me. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. Deacons, you are to be dignified. Christian, are you dignified? The term normally refers to something that is honorable or respectable, something that is esteemed, something that is held up as worthy. Continue in verse 8. They must also not be double-tongued. Someone that's double-tongued, well, you, you say one thing to certain people, but then when you're around a group of another people, well, you say another thing. Or maybe you say one thing, but you play semantics and you, you mean another thing. A double-tongued person is a two-faced person. It means you're insincere. Your word cannot be trusted and you lack credibility. A double tongue comes from a double heart. So I ask you this morning, deacon, I ask you this morning, Christian, are your allegiances divided this morning? Are you holy, holy Christ's? We continue in verse 8. A deacon is not to be addicted to much wine. A man is disqualified for the office of deacon if he is addicted to wine or other strong drink. Such a person lacks self-control and is undisciplined. This is not limited to alcohol, but any other substance that can render you inebriated. And when you become inebriated, that opens the door to temptation, to poor judgment, to other wickednesses to come in. We continue in verse 8. A deacon is not to be fond of sordid gain. That means not to be greedy for dishonest gain. If you love money, you are not qualified to be a deacon. And then verse 9. But you are, but holding to the ministry, excuse me, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The phrase, the mystery of the faith, or sound in faith in life, it's simply one way Paul speaks of the gospel. A deacon is to hold firm to the true gospel without wavering. Christian, this morning, are you holding true to the gospel without wavering? And yet this qualification does not merely just mean your belief. For he must also hold these beliefs with a clear conscience. 
the Word of God says. That is, the behavior of the deacon must be consistent with his beliefs. What he believes dictates how he acts. A deacon must be a sayer and a doer. Do you say, Christian, I believe this? Oh, but your life does not show that you truly believe that. Oh, may the Lord deal with our hearts this morning. We continue. Verse 10. These men also first must be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Paul writes that deacons must be first tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless or above reproach. Blameless, it's a a general term for referring to a person's overall character. Overall, do you have a good reputation? Do you? Verse 11, we see a godly wife. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons' wives must be dignified, not slanderers, but but temperate. That means sober-minded. They must be faithful in all things, like her husband. I imagine the deacons' wives didn't think they would be preached at this morning. This is for you too. Just like your husband, dear ma'am, you must be dignified and respectable. She must not be a slanderer, a person who goes around spreading gossip. Gossip can destroy and kill a church. Deacon's wife must be sober-minded and temperate. That is, she must be able to make good judgments. She must not be involved with things that might hinder her judgment, and she must be faithful in all things. That is a high standard, dear lady. It's obviously important for many reasons, but one, sometimes a deacon's wife will accompany her husband on these visits and on his duties, and she may even be privileged to very sensitive information. Look at verse 12. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife. A deacon must be the spiritual leader of his wife. The best interpretation of this difficult phrase is to understand it as referring to the faithfulness of a husband to his wife. He must be a one-woman man. That is, there must be no other woman in his life to whom he relates in an intimate way, whether that's physically or whether that's emotionally. He has one wife, and he is a faithful husband to her. We continue, verse 12. And he must be a good manager of their children and their own households. A deacon must be the spiritual leader of his wife and his children. He must have his family in order. He must be merciful, and he must deal gently with his wife. And his children. A Christian man, are you a man of mercy? Would you say that you deal gently with your wife? Hey, Dad, are you a man of mercy? Do you, do you deal, deal so gently and mercifully towards your own children? Oh, God has been so merciful to us. How dare we not be men of God, be merciful to our wives? to our children. Hey, ladies. Hey, husbands. Not just husbands, but wives. Wives, 
Are you merciful and kind to your husbands? Or are you bitter and quick to attack? Are you merciful to your children when they ask the same question for the thousandth time? Or do you have a sharp tongue that damages? No, this is not just for deacons, but are we people of mercy? Are we people of mercy? Only God can receive praise for blessings on a church. Yet God still uses means, or we could say he still uses ways to bestow those blessings, to give those blessings. So a healthy church shows stability and unity in large part because its pastors and the church's deacons fulfill their roles with stability and unity. You want a strong church? Then you have strong pastors who serve their role appropriately, and you have strong deacons who serve in their roles appropriately. And so tonight, and I I really want to encourage you to come back at 5 o'clock tonight, as these men are set apart, they're ordained. That means uh, they're set apart for the work. They've been appointed to this work. They're being installed and placed into this sacred office. Turn with me real fast to Acts, the book of Acts. Go back a few pages to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Here we'll see the precedent or the precursor to the office of deacon. Acts chapter 6. This is a time that's in the early church. The New Testament Christian church is just growing. Acts chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. Acts 6, verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 6. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples, and they said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren... Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. You see what happened here. There were these needs in the church. And the disciples came together and they presented this to the church. And they said, pick amongst you these men who are full of the Holy Spirit. These men who can serve this congregation. And so it was not because the care of the widows was unimportant. It's like, ah, you know, just give it to the deacons. No. It was because the ministry of mercy, it was so important. It was so needed. It was so important that a new office was created. So, so do not think that the office or the position of a deacon is an unimportant office. But it is a highly regarded office. It is a gift of God. It is a mandate of God to his church, to the body of Christ. 
George Fuller said this. He said, to denigrate the high office of deacon is practical heresy. To belittle or to, to not see a lot of value in the high office of deacon is to go outside the doctrine of the true church. It's, it's to go outside of the faith. But we are to see deacons with a high view. Deacons are not to just be, oh, they're the servants. They, they personally, themselves, individually, they must do everything. No. But they are servant leaders in the church who, on the one hand, their heart says, I'm willing to do the most menial task. And yet they also have the authority to direct and oversee the involvement of the whole church in accomplishing all the tasks. So if you are a deacon, this special calling of your office reflects one of our almighty God's concerns. This, uh, our God has a special concern for the widows. And our God has a special concern for the poor. Hey, Christian, are you concerned about the widows in your midst? Hey, Christian, do you care about the poor? What are you doing to meet those needs? What are you doing to minister to the widows? For those who have lost a spouse, for those who are alone, for those who are needy, the office, well, the office of deacon shows God's great concern. And if God has great concern, we must have great concern for those who have lost, for those who are poor, for those who are needy. God cares. Hey, God cares, church, to you. And if you will consistently follow the Bible and how you are to fulfill your office, the church will be stable. The widows will be cared for. The, the poor amongst you will be taken care of. God will be honored and blessings will be all yours. The church is a marvelous thing. If you go back to our text in 1 Timothy 3, you can just scan over verse 15. But in that text, we see that the household of God is called the church of the living God and it is the pillar of and the support of truth. Your version may read that the church is the backbone and the ground or the foundation or the buttress of truth. The church is very important to God. It is Christ's body, as the Bible calls it. The church is called Christ's bride. And it is made up of Christ's brothers and sisters. When the church, the people of God, when they live in love and orderliness, it's like no other group. Church, the world wants what you have. They want the unity. They want the fellowship. They want the peace. They want the family. But you can't have it outside of Christ. It's only forgiven through Jesus that you can be in the family of God. And I pray that the Father who chose the church, the Son who made atonement for the church, and, and the Holy Spirit who applies the redemptive work of Christ to the church, that he would bless and that he would enlarge First Baptist Church Tullahoma through the service of you individually. Now let's look at verse 13. 1 
1 Timothy 3, verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Brother deacon, there is a great promise. There is a great promise for you that in keeping with obedience to fulfill your office, to fulfill your responsibilities, by being obedient to the requirements, dear deacon, you will have high standing and great confidence. Deacons, there are spiritual rewards for you if you serve faithfully in the role that God has called you to. Serving well leads to great spiritual reward. This is true also for you as an individual, church. If you serve faithfully, it will lead to great spiritual reward. When the church has faithful pastors and faithful deacons, the church body thrives. In verse 13, we just see that there is this assurance, there is this boldness in your faith if you serve well, deacon. So that implies that you can serve poorly or you can serve badly. But if you serve in a proper manner, you deserve to be highly respected. It is to the advantage, it is for the good of the church. If you serve honorably, you are to be rewarded with excellent standing and respect. You will gain a good reputation by being faithful to your office. Also, serving well gives you confidence in your faith. Confidence is considered a reward for those who serve Christ well. You will be rewarded with respect from others and you will have increased confidence in your faith in Jesus Christ. God's word promises it to you, deacon, if you serve well. As you're being used of God and seeing how God works in the lives of his children, as you're taking care of things behind the scenes, your confidence will increase. Also, you have great confidence in the faith because a life lived in obedience and in service and in accordance with the biblical qualifications, it will give you a good conscience. It will give you freedom from much sin and accusations so you can serve God with greater boldness. One commentator says this, This goes for deacon and Christian alike. Listen closely. If you act basely, that means dishonorably or immoral. If you act basely, it is is as if you have your mouth shut and your hands tied and are unfit for doing good because no one can rely on you and you have no authority. If you're living like the world, you might as well have your hands and mouth tied because you're just like the world. We now have a great work to do. There is a divine purpose in what God has called us to. There is not a happier person than the person who is busy for the master using their gifts in Christian service. You want to be happy? Christian, you want to be happy in the Lord? Well, there's not a happier person than the person who is busy for the master using their gifts in Christian service. I pray, dear brother and dear sister, I pray that God gives you work until your life ends 
and that it gives you life until your work is done. Deacons, you have a direct link with the past. You are able to trace your office, to trace your responsibility back over 2,000 years. You can trace your office back to the early church. You now serve in an office that has existed for over 2,000 years. Use your office to glorify God. Use your office to exalt Christ. Be used by the Spirit to keep unity in the church by putting down discontent and by serving the needs of others. And this evening when ordained men lay their hands on you and they pray over you, remember that is a sign of confidence and affirmation. You are not being appointed or ordained a deacon just for the honor, although it is a high honor. But you are being ordained, you are being set apart to serve. To serve God, to serve the church, to serve your brother and sister. The office of deacon is not an office of spiritual authority over others, but it is an office of service. And so may you use your service as deacon while in your own life you grow spiritually. And may it be one of involvement, constant involvement in Christian service. Hudson Taylor said, be God's man in God's place, doing God's work in God's way. As for you, Christian, this morning, dear brother, dear sister, be God's man, be God's lady in God's place, doing God's work in God's way. And Deacon, you be a man of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. This is a call to all Christians. This is a call for all Christians today, for you to see how much God loves the church, His church. God provides for the church. God loves the church so much so that that He sent His Son, His only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for everyone that will believe. And so a believer is a member, and by that I mean a part of the church. And God takes this church and how she is to be ordered and how she is to be maintained and how she is to be operated. God takes that very seriously. If you love God, if you have been saved by God through faith alone in Jesus Christ, then you will love the church, point blank, period. That's not popular today. It's popular to say, I have my own church. I do church in my tree stand. I do, I do church in the boat. I do church on my own. It's not to say we don't worship God, we don't honor God. It's not times that we need times to get away. But God gave us the church, and Christians belong in the church. Christians belong to the church. How can you bear someone's burden if you're not in a church? How can you not serve your brother and sister if you're not in the church? How can they not serve you? How can you take the ordinances? How can you witness baptism? How can you take the Lord's Supper? You must be in the church. God loves the local church. If you love God, if you've been saved, then you will love the church. If you do not love the church, and by that 
By that I mean a Bible-believing church. I'm not standing here saying, Telahoma First Baptist is the only church on earth. But I'm talking about a Bible-believing, a Bible-preaching church of local believers. If you do not love that church, the love of God is not in you. If you love God, then you will love the church. Though she may be imperfect at times, she is being sanctified and she is beautiful to God. Jesus died for the church. So let us love and serve our church faithfully. So let this not be our first question. What can the church do for me and my family? But let our first question Let us be quick to ask, what are the needs of the church? And how can me and my family meet those needs? That will change. That will change everything. And so as we think upon the love of Christ for his church, let us now prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. He loves his church. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As you prepare yourself for communion, may we hear from God's word again. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is for us to remember our Lord's death, to remember his resurrection, and to look forward to his glorious return. God is at work in this ordinance. He brings discipline and judgment for those who take it in an unworthy manner. And he brings blessing to those who take it in faith. When we come to the Lord's table, we're to come humble, yet very happy. Because we know that God blesses us as we Commune with him. The Lord's Supper is to remember what Christ has done for us. The Lord's Supper is a celebration of what we receive because of Christ's sacrifice. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation of the Lord's death until he returns. The Lord's Supper is to nourish our spirit in faith. By God's grace. In the Lord's Supper, it preaches the gospel. 
the observance of the Lord's Supper should be joyful. It's a joyful time. But not before it exposes sin in our own lives. And not before it it brings us to trust in Christ all the more. We're never worthy in ourselves to take the Lord's Supper. The only way to be worthy is to give it all to God. To give Him all of our sins. To throw everything down before Him. The trust in His mercy. That we are counted as worthy only in Christ. To be worthy to eat the Lord's Supper. It means to make sure your faith is, is really in Jesus. To make sure that you're hidden in Christ. That you're not holding on to sin. And that you're at peace with your brothers and sisters. The Lord's Supper is not, it is not for perfect people. But the Lord's Supper is for weak and feeble sinners who have given it all to Christ. So every time we observe the Lord's Supper, God himself, he's giving you one more precious opportunity for repentance and restoration. So as I shared with you before, you should call to mind these, these three things as we examine ourselves. One, we look upward. We examine our relationship with God. Are we in real intimate communion with him or do we see some separation because of some sin that we're just holding on to next we then look outward do we find that there's any division between us and fellow brothers and sisters and then we look inward do we find unconfessed sin in our own life Do we find idols of the heart? Are there private sins that we keep hidden? And we love them. So we examine upward. Is there sin that I'm holding on to? God, oh God, forgive me. I repent of it. I turn from it. This is not what I want. Lord, it's yours. We look outward. Go to that brother and that sister. Seek their forgiveness. Don't be ashamed of it. And then we look inward. What am I clinging on to? What am I loving more than Jesus right now? When we take this supper, we should recommit ourselves. We should remind ourselves that Jesus, he's our strength. Jesus, he's he's our sustenance. By his death, he has brought life. And so as we approach the Lord's Supper, yes, we have tears of sorrow, but we have smiles of joy. And yes, we will do this until he returns. If you're not a Christian, the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, communion, the cup, the bread, if you're not a Christian, it's not for you. We're not angry with you not mad at you 
We don't think little of you. But because we take God and his word so seriously, we must warn you that it is not for you. But it is a great reminder if you're not a Christian this morning. It's a great reminder of what Jesus has done on the cross for your sins if you will believe in Jesus. You may not be able to partake today if you're not a Christian. But my prayer for you is that the next time that we take the Lord's Supper, that you'll be eating it with us. As someone who has been saved by God through faith in Jesus. That you will recognize your need for a Savior and you will put your faith in Jesus Christ. And church, may we remember, oh, may we remember our precious sacrifice, Jesus. And oh, church, may we tremble. Oh, may we tremble at the thought of forgetting him. We must remember. He tells us, do this in remembrance of me. So if you'll take your cup and you'll take off the first layer there, exposing bread. The word of God says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night which he betrayed He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God's word continues. In the same way, he took the cup. Also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, our Savior draws nigh. Church, he will return for his people. Let's pray. God, you have not left us alone. You've sealed your people and indwelt your people with the Holy Spirit. You've given us your your promise, your covenant. You've given us your word. Lord, you love your church. Oh, make us love your church too. May we serve your church faithfully. May we be people of unity, of kindness, people of mercy. Make us people of service. Lord, you have saved us. You own us. We are yours. We've been bought with a price. May we live for you. Thank you for our sacrifice, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
I trust it's been a blessing to you to see the importance of the office of deacon, see the importance of what God has called each brother and sister in church to be and to do and how to serve and to love and to respect. I trust that you've seen the beauty in the Lord's Supper, that you've been called to remember once again of your Savior's love for you. As always, we're available for you to pray, to answer any questions, to care for your soul as the Lord deals with you. We ask now that you would stand and that you would worship with us.